This morning, I want to talk to you about a nickname. Now, maybe some of you, when you were younger and even older, you've got a nickname. Uh, You've got a name that um, is not uh, associated with you as far as uh, your birth certificate is concerned. Uh, But uh, maybe somebody gave you a nickname even when you were young, and it has endured all throughout these years. I can always remember uh, marrying uh, some people in our former church, and uh, everybody knew her as Nancy. And when I came to do the vows, she was an older woman, she was a widow, and she was marrying a widower. And I came to do the vows, I announced her name as Comfort Susan May. And everybody looked at me as if to say, he's got it wrong. But her name, her nickname was Nancy. And uh, it stuck with her right from a child, right through to the end of her days. And when uh, she was buried, it was uh, Nancy, not Comfort, which was her proper name. So I'm going to speak to you about a nickname that stuck. And I have to put my glasses on because of uh, the light in here. <laughs> So if we can angle it a little. And I want to turn you, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to turn you to the book of Acts, and we're going to look at the 11th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 19 uh, through to 30. Verses 19 through to 30. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spoke unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed. And turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad. And exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And much people were added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought unto him, uh, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them 
named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout the whole of the earth, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They were first known as the Holy Club. They met over 200 years ago in the city of Oxford in England, Oxford is uh, one of the great university cities uh, of the world. And uh, these students met together to worship God and to study the Word of God and to practice a holy life. And they called themselves the Holy Club. But, you know, the students of Oxford decided that they would uh, give them a nickname. And uh, they decided not to call them the Holy Club, but they decided to call them the Methodists, because of their methodical ways and their methodical practices. And we know today that those people that started the Holy Club and were nicknamed Methodists, today, throughout the world, the Methodist churches are seen everywhere. So the nickname that was given to them, which was derogatory, was a name that stuck to them and today, to a hundred years on, they're still called Methodists. When we look at this church here at Antioch, we see something very distinct and something very special. Because something is happening here, and there is an incredible event that is taking place. Now, Antioch was one of the great cities of the earth at that particular time. In fact, it vied with places like Corinth and uh, Ephesus as the third city next to uh, the great cities of Rome and Alexandria, which was on the uh, north part of Africa. The thing about uh, the people of, Athens, uh, of um, Antioch was this, that they were a people that uh, tended to call somebody by a different name. They would give people nicknames. Uh, for example, when one of the Caesars uh, uh, came to uh, visit uh, the city of Antioch at that particular time, his name was Julian. And Julian had a goatee beard. You know what I mean by one of these goatee beards? And thereafter, the emperor was known as the goat in Antioch. So the when they referred to the emperor, they referred to him as the goat. Well, they would often put uh, this title at the end uh, of something in the language of the day, Ayani. For example, if you belonged to Caesar's party, you were Caesariani. And then it came to this term Christian or Christiani. And it simply meant the Christ followers. The people of Antioch, when they referred to the people that was known at that particular time as the people of the way, were now referred to as Christiani. 
Because the scripture says here that they were first known as Christians at Antioch. Now, they were known as Christians as a derogatory term. And we know today that that very term is throughout the whole of the world. We're not known as people of the way, although we believe that we are people of the way. But we are known as Christian or Christiani. And so when that we find that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is beginning to blossom and beginning to flourish in this great city, we find that these people are known as the Christ ones. They're known as the ones that have committed themselves to following this Christ or this Messiah. And the nickname that was given to them was a nickname that stuck, Christiani, Christian. So here in the Word of God, we find that this term is only used three times. Here in this 11th chapter, in the 26th verse, is the term Christian used. In the 26th uh, uh, chapter of the book of Acts, we find that the term is used again when it is referred to by Agrippa. King Agrippa is now calling them Christians. The nickname of Antioch has spread far and wide, and now Agrippa is referring to them as Christians. And then the Apostle Peter, when he writes his first epistle, he referred to Christians in his epistle. You see, the term Christian was always associated with scorn. It was also associated with suffering. It was often associated with persecution. That is why Peter writes these words. He says, however, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So he says, if you suffer by being given the nickname Christian, don't worry about it. He says, count it an honor that you're bearing that name, that you're suffering for that name. So I want to take a look at some things that are in this portion of Scripture that I've just read to you. That There's so much that we could deal with this morning, but uh, time does not permit. But when you look at verse 19, you'll find first and foremost that uh, there is a scattering that resulted in increase. Because the scripture says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution. You see, a persecution had 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 arisen. Stephen had been martyred. And there was the dispensing of the Christians out of Jerusalem out of Judea, and they seem to go everywhere. Let me tell you this one thing. Persecution is not always negative. Very often, most likely, persecution results in something that is positive and something that is dynamic because the Word of God tells us here that these people were scattered, and as a result of the means scattered, they went everywhere preaching the Word of God. These few words here somehow seem to be some of the greatest in church history. You see, 
As a result of the scattering, the Gentiles became Christians. Up until this time, only the Jews became Christians. And it could have turned into another Jewish cult because they had many Jewish cults. You know, today they've got Jewish cults like Kabbalah and so, so forth. And this could have resulted in another Jewish cult. But suddenly God began to open up the, the, the gospel to other areas. First in Samaria where Philip went to preach. The Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. Then Peter had a vision coming down from heaven. It was a table of luscious food. And God spoke to him, whatever I call clean, don't you call unclean. And as a result, the house of Cornelius became Christians. He was a God-fearer. Most probably, he would have either been a proselyte belonging to the church uh, or the synagogue at that time, or what was known as a proselyte at the gate, somebody that would go along to the synagogue, listen to the word of God being preached, but what would not enter into the Jewish rituals of uh, uh, food uh, uh, laws and also circumcision. And then the Bible tells us that the third step is this, that the gospel now is preached to the Gentiles here at Antioch. There are certain things that I want to bring out about these people. And I think what happened there is as relevant today as it was yesterday. First and foremost, the Bible tells us that they proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in verses 19 and 20, the Scripture tells us some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they spoke to the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a result of the persecution, these people went to one of the greatest cities, people from Cyprus, people from Cyrene. They went there. And they began to preach the word of God. They began to deliver the scriptures. They began to show that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Now there are words that are used. Words like traveled. Words like speaking. Or talking the word. These people, they didn't go and just hold mass crusades. But wherever they went, they weren't, some of them weren't great preachers. They were just pure disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that had had such a remarkable experience within their lives, such a transformation within their lives, that they said, we want to tell everyone about Jesus. And a church was established at Antioch. Wait a minute now. There is not one single person's name that is mentioned here. It just says, men of Cyprus, men of Cyrene. What no big evangelist, what no well-known television personality preacher has gone to this great city of Antioch and preached the word of God? No. One of the greatest churches that was ever established 
in Christianity, the greatest missional church, Antioch, was established by unknown people like yourselves, like me. Not famous names, not household names, not well-known in the churches who's who. They were ordinary people, and that tells me one thing. You don't have to wait for a certain person to come in to create something dynamic in your city. You are my witnesses, the Scripture says. Ordinary people with an extraordinary passion burning in their hearts for Jesus Christ. And they went and they they, they gossiped the gospel. They told other people about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of this, the church was established. Nameless pioneers for Christ. And I want to say to you this morning, what you do for the Lord Jesus Christ and in the establishing of this church, you are vitally, vitally important, every single one of you, every single child, every single man, every single woman, you are vitally important for the establishment and the growth and the development of this church. And could I say another thing? It is not for the credit of man, but it is for the honor of God that you're doing it. Some words I came across Oh, many years ago, are so relevant here. What care I who gets the credit? Only let the work be done. God himself will handle credit with the setting of the sun. Praise and blame, what does it matter? Rise above them just the same. Son, you will never win a battle if you hear what people say. Sometimes cheer you, sometimes curse you. Do your duty just the same while the world is sick and waiting just for the something I can be. Help me, Lord, in stress and struggle just to keep my eyes on thee. And that is what we've got to do. We've got to focus on Jesus. Everything that we do, every that we do in the church, everything that we do outside the church as we witness for the Lord, we're doing it for His glory and not for our own credit and for our own benefit. And so these people, these nameless people went everywhere and they preached the Word of God. Secondly, they were powerful and successful in verse 21. Because in verse 21 it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Wow, that makes a great difference. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. You see, because of the first part of that verse, the second part of the verse took place. Because the hand of the Lord was with them. Now where have they come to? They've come to one of the wealthiest cities of the world. They've come to Antioch. Antioch was an incredible city in many respects. It was like uh, the New York or or, or the London of the day or the Paris of the day. It was a great political center. 
it was cosmopolitan. There were 25,000 Jews alone that lived in this city. Beside Arabs and Greeks and Romans. It was a commercial center, chiefly given over to business. It was on a direct route uh, from east to west. And it was uh, the route that would often be taken to take the wealth of the east to Rome. It was a commercial city. It was a morally corrupt city, famous for the worship of Daphne, whose legend has it that uh, Apollo fell in love with her. And outside the city, there was a grove called the Grove of Apollo. And it was notorious for licentious sexual indulgence. It was an immoral city. In other words, the Temple of Daphne was one big outdoor brothel. That shows the type of cities uh, it was. It was referred to as, as far as morals, immor immorality was concerned, people would often say, oh, he or she has got the morals of Daphne, which means that they were immoral. It was built upon the great city, uh, uh, the, the, the river Orontes. And believe it or not, Rome at one time was a morally upstanding city. But when Rome became corrupt morally, in Rome they would often say that the Orontes River has flowed into the Tiber. In other words, the pollution and the corruption has come to Rome from Antioch. That shows the type of city it was. It was a bad city. But it was to this city, this city, that the gospel came with power because the scripture says a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. These unknown preachers walked and proclaimed in the strength of the one who said, and you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. And you shall go into all the world and preach the gospel. And this message came to them. You might say, oh, our, our town, our city is far too corrupted. It is far too sophisticated to reach the people. Let me tell you this one thing. It makes all the difference when you read those words, and the Lord was with them. And when the Lord is with us, it makes all the difference. We can have all the sophisticated equipment. We can have all the, uh, the, the, the finances in the world. But unless the Lord is with us, everything falls flat. And, and what thrills me about these people is this, that the church was established in this great sophisticated city, corrupt, yes, morally corrupt, full of evil, but the Lord was with them because they worked in signs and wonders. They worked in power. You, you, you know, when, when the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus, it was another city just like Antioch, a corrupt city, a wealthy city. And he went to that city and, and established a, a, an incredible church. 
in Ephesus. So much so that God began to work with signs and wonders. And there must have been so many people that were added to the church there. But the silversmiths got up in arms because Diana, that goddess of Ephesus, which was their means of livelihood where they made those ugly little idols. It was being so affected, all the silversmiths, it was being so affected that they, they were up in arms. But do you know, do you know what happened at Ephesus? The power of the, God, uh, of the Word of God was so incredibly strong that the church there grew not by ones and twos, but by Thousands by thousands. And healing took place. The manifestation of the healing power of God took place. So much so that when the Apostle Paul prayed for the sick, do you know what they were doing even? They were sending handkerchiefs. Now, not nice white handkerchiefs like this, but sweatbands. Sweatbands and, and, and leather aprons. Say, so just, just pray over these and let's touch our people. I wonder how you'd like it if somebody sent you a load of sweatbands, used sweatbands, for you to pray over them. But that's what was happening. And it was the same here. Well, as a result of what took place here at Antioch, the elders in Jerusalem, they said, what's going on up there? We've heard that there is an incredible move of the Spirit of God. And so they decide, uh, decide that they're going to send a deputation party up there. And the one that's going to lead it is a man by the name of Joseph. Oh, by the way, he also had a nickname. His nickname Nicknamed by the church in Jerusalem was Barnabas. Do you know what it means? Son of encouragement. So they, they say, let's send the son of encouragement up to... They, they, they weren't saying, let's send somebody that will scrutinize them and see whether they are crossing their T's and dotting their I's. No, they said, let's send the son of encouragement, Barnabas, up. You read about Barnabas in chapter 4 of Acts. He, he was a, a Levite that had come from Cyprus to Jerusalem. He'd sold all his land and gave the money to the poor to serve the Lord. He was the one that went with the apostle Paul in ministry. And the Bible tells us that he went up. He was the one that, that was uh, sent. Thing is coming off. When he went up, the scripture tells us that he saw something. He saw, listen, the grace of God. The grace of God. This man that was the scripture refers to here as a good man, a man full of the Holy Ghost and faith. He saw the grace of God in the people. And that is what 
Christianity is about. The manifestation of the grace of God in your life and in my life. What do people see when you go to work? What do they see in your neighborhood? What about your family? What do they see? Do they see a changed life? Are they aware of the grace of God? The manifestation of the grace of God in your... Do they see it? I love these words of Beatrice Cleland. She paid tribute to the person that led her to Christ. She says, not only by the words you say, not only in your deeds confessed, but in the most unconscious ways is Christ expressed. Is it a beatific smile or a holy light upon your brow? Oh, no. I felt his presence when you laughed just now. For me, it was not the truth you taught to you so clear, to me so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. And from your eyes he beckons me, and from your lips his love is shed, till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. What do people see in us? What do they see? Do we leave that sweet fragrance of his presence? You know, the old saying, some people are glad to see you when you come and some other people are glad to see you when you go. What presence do we leave? What atmosphere do we leave? We were talking about this this week. And I hadn't intended on saying this, but just come to my mind. Your pastor, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, sent uh, my wife and I uh, some tickets to go and hear Joel Osteen in Birmingham in England uh, at uh, one of the arenas there. And uh, we decided that we would um, go on the train, which was only a couple of stops from where we lived, rather than take the car through all the traffic. But, well, it, it was a long story, and suddenly the, we, we got to Birmingham. We had one more stop to go. And uh, we couldn't go because they were doing the track, so we had to get on a bus. And by the time we got to the meeting, we were a bit fed up. It was halfway through. But after the meeting, we met up with some people from our old church in, in South Wales, in Newport in South Wales. And uh, <clears throat> some of the folks said, you know these people? We said, no. They said, these are the people that bought your house. When we passed it down in Newport in South Wales, we, we quickly sold our house as we were moving up into the Midlands of, of England. Uh, our house didn't even go up. They didn't even print any details. The person came in and, uh, and, and they bought it straight away. So we, we didn't know who they were. But you know, they'd been there for several months in our house and so, these were people that were not religious. 
people were totally non-committed, didn't go to church or anything like that. But they felt that there was something in that house. Do you know what they said to each other? Do you think that they have, because they knew that we were Christians, they knew I, I was a pastor. Do you think that they have left their spirit here? That's what they said. Do you think they'd left their spirit? And especially him, he was getting more and more convicted. And to cut a long story short, he went to church. He gave his life to the Lord. She gave her life to the Lord. And as a result, their families and members, friends and whatever, so many people came to know the Lord. And we just praise God for that. We, 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 didn't, we didn't know what we'd left behind. but it brought people to Christ. Could I ask you that question? Are you leaving that sweet fragrance of his presence? Wherever you go, my time is almost gone. And this thing keeps falling off. I haven't got such big ears as him. But what did Barnabas how did he react the scripture says that Barnabas was full of joy he was glad because he saw the, the evidence of Jesus Christ working amongst the Gentiles and this is what he did he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they cleave to the Lord I like the Living Bible's translation where it says to stay close to the Lord whatever the cost. Stay close to the Lord whatever the cost. Do you know what it is to cleave to the Lord? Do you know what it is? Come here. Am I cleaving to my son? Come on, answer me. Am I cleaving to my son? Am I cleaving to my son? I can't hear you. Getting close. So close. And Barnabas said, this is what I want you to do. He said, I've seen the grace of God in you. I've seen the manifestation of the love of Christ in you. And I want you to crave. Get closer to the Lord than ever before. You know, there's so much more that I could say about this chapter. But I'm going to leave it there this morning. But unknown people established a church that had such a mighty impact upon other nations. A great missional church not established by well-known personalities, by nameless men from Cyprus and Cyrene. But the difference was the Lord was with them. And when Barnabas saw it, oh, he said, this is incredible. I've seen the grace of God manifest in the Gentiles. And he said, cleave to the Lord. 
I want to say to you this morning, the Generation Church, that there be a manifestation of the grace of God, that when you go to work tomorrow or go about your daily duties tomorrow, people will say, wow, there's something different about that person. And they'll want to follow Christ as you follow him. May I say to you all, with purpose of heart, cleave to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that we will be a people that will cleave to you with all of our hearts and we will be a shining light to the nation. Touch us this morning, Lord, in such a way that when we go out of this place, people will say, he or she has been with Jesus. 